Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. A lot of people consider that the second greatest radio team in Minnesota history. Mackey and Judd. Behind <laughs> Joe and Pat. <laughs> <laughs> On 1500 ESPN. Neal, who's had some frustrating finishes personally the last couple of games for the Wizards, defers to Porter for the long two. Wiggins puts it up. Long rebound. Jimmy Butler comes down with it. Andrew for the lead. Another long rebound, Butler. Six seconds, Jimmy finds Andrew, and it's last touched by the Wolves. We gave him second chance opportunities, uh, and we just missed shots on the offensive end. But it uh, comes down to we got to be able to get stops on defense, uh, and especially when we do get a stop, don't let them get you know a second chance at it. You know, and I thought uh, you know our their bench hurt us. So that was a concern. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Listen to how thanks, Tom. down he was. Dude, I am uh, I'm not off the bandwagon, but he just sucks the joy out of everything, it feels like. No one's having fun. They're 12 and 9. If you were to watch that team last night and watch their body language and watch everything about that team, would you have thought they were not a 12 and 9 team? Or just the atmosphere in the you're in the arena? Yeah. Did that feel like the best wolf season and a team that's competing for I'm gonna tell 50 you, wins on pace? I'm going to tell you right now, I draw a, and I've done, done this for a week now, I draw a direct comparison, and, and not not this year even, extending out, but to the Timberwolves right now and the Wild for a long time as joyless collections. They are, they are, It's this is not a personal shot at people, they are unlikable teams. So I'm not saying that I'm not saying that the players themselves as people aren't likable, but they are unlikable teams. They look like teams that have no fun. They look like teams that make what should be fun hard work. Mm. They look like collections of individuals. You can tell when a team is playing like a team, right? And for a long time, for long periods of time including right now, the Wild has played like a collection of individuals for the most part. The Wolves are doing the same thing to me right now. They are unlikable teams. Well, I couldn't tell if down the stretch, if it were, if it was option A, B, or both of them, A, the Wolves were just too gassed to put anything together offensively that resembled a play, uh, or B, they were just like so disorganized and so poorly coached in that moment that they didn't have anything. There was a possession where they get a rebound. I think the game was tied or the Wolves were up by one or maybe even it was it was a back and forth of like a minute to go or 55 seconds to go. Mm-hmm. And they loaf back on offense and Tom Thibodeau is screaming for a play. Oh, 
He's like halfway down to the other side of the court. And a couple guys look completely exhausted. Towns, Butler. And they wind up not actually running a play of any kind. Taj Gibson just pulled up from like 21 feet top of the key and clanked a jumper with three seconds left on the shot clock. And I'm sitting here like... How did we get to this point? I know that you're depleted, and Bielitz is out, and uh, and Jeff Teague is out, and your starters looked fried. But but this is you're, you're literally just isolation, chucking jump shots from 22 feet with guys who have no business taking that shot. Yes, Taj Gibson from the top of the key, he's okay from the corners, but and Andrew Wiggins, I brought this up at the start of the show. Andrew Wiggins is shooting 32 percent from beyond 16 feet this year. Which isn't much better than his last couple of years. It ain't like he was lighting it up from that distance the last couple of years and he's just cold. If you had a player who can't make a shot, that's like Ricky Rubio type stuff, who can't make a shot from beyond 16 feet, but is wonderful at getting to the free throw line and who's not that great at shooting free throws, but he gets to the free throw line, gets to the rim. Why are you permitting that player as a coach, as teammates? Why are you permitting and empowering that player? To take whatever shot he wants in those close games in the fourth quarter from beyond 16 feet. It's malpractice. Because it looks like everyone is doing their own thing. Last night in in the fourth quarter, it looked like everybody, especially late, was doing their own thing. The shot selection at the end was bizarre. It was bizarre. It's like, what got you to this lead? Let me give you a a, a, a small but joyless example from last night, first half. Gorgie gets the ball in the paint. Gorgie should have shot. He had this in at least two identical plays where Gorgie gets the ball, and instead of shooting, he looks to kick the ball out, and I have no idea why. Yeah. He passes to Wiggins. Wiggins takes the shot and makes it. So it's a, it's a very questionable pass, but it ends with a basket. As soon as he made the pass, it's right in front of Tibbs. Tibbs pivots and starts going crazy and says, Taj, Taj, Taj. He never watched the shot. He didn't watch the shot. He was so upset by the decision to pass, which was a which was a questionable decision. I'll give you that. But he was so upset by that he never watched the play. They scored a basket. That to me is joyless. That yeah. to me is is there is uh, there is a I think the best word here is just a disconnect. I think there's a complete disconnect, and I think the thought process going into the season was that Butler would would pave that, would smooth that, and I don't know why, but I thought it was at first a little bit. And now I don't think it's working. Yeah, it's it's a weird feeling because they're having the best season, the best start to a season that we've seen in a decade and a half of Wolves basketball. And yet there's so many things about this team. There's there's so many things defensively, chemistry-wise. And some, you know, chemistry is just going to take time. We had Jeff Teague on our show, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. And he's, was it Jeff Teague? No, I'm sorry, Jamal Crawford said this. We had both on, but Jamal Crawford said this, uh-huh. that we're going to look totally different in the second half. He said, oh, no, I mean, it might look a little bit clunky, but we're going to look like a totally different team in the second half. And I want to believe that that's the case, too, and I don't want to be overreactor guy, which I guess has been the theme of our Wolves discussions today, whatever. Um, but there's just something off about the 12-9 and record. And let me give you another... I, I know that I pile on Wiggins a lot, but I I hate when when you see things that are so obvious as a fan or as someone watching a game and say, you know, this is really obvious. Why don't they change this? And the player and the coach involved don't make the change. So Andrew Wiggins, like I just mentioned, is shooting 
Actually, it's down to 31% after last night. 31% from beyond 16 feet. Yet 50% of his shot attempts come from that range. Why? That's coaching. Or it's just a player going completely rogue and selfishly taking shots that make no sense. Yes. So why is it not being communicated in some form? And if it is, then he shouldn't be playing 40 minutes anymore. If you can't make those shots, you shouldn't be taking, A, the most shots of anyone on the team, and B, the majority of your shots are from that inefficient distance. Yes. This is and I don't it's like I've never coached basketball a day in my life, and I can tell you this is absurd. But if that's if if that's him being selfish and doing his own thing, it seems to me like like it started to rub off on Towns as well. This is the first time that I've ever watched Towns and thought to myself, oh boy, there's some problems there. For two years I watched this guy and said superstar. And and last night I'm telling you. When he's politicking for every possible call, when he's throwing his hands up, when Jimmy Butler's telling him, get back, get back, get back, quit, you're whining and complaining, and he won't do it, and his defense is, at times, non-existent. I mean, Phil, that second team, and I think Towns was actually back in in the uh, in, in the uh, second quarter, when they had, I, I wrote this down, it was Gorgie, Towns, Crawford, yeah. Shabazz, and uh, Brooks on the floor. I mean, the defense was non-existent. It wasn't sort of bad. It was non-existent. It was inexcusably bad. It was it was basically telling Tibbs, take your defensive system and shove it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> I mean, it was embarrassingly bad. And and there seemed to be all of these agendas. And I don't know if this is is a bleep you to Tibbs, if this is guys being selfish and they just don't care. But that's where... This team, especially in spurts, does not pass the eye test. This team, this team, if you look at the standings and record, you say, oh, that's not too bad. But if you watch this team play, there's too many times where you say, oh, no, 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 I see problems there. I'll give you another one here. here here's a tweet from, let's see here, Daniel. I'd love to hear you guys talk about the energy level the Wolves had the last five minutes last night. Butler was the only guy moving with any energy at the end of the game. Uh, and even Butler looked gassed at certain well, he, times because he's out there. He looks tired, just, yes. And his 40 minutes are a lot more energetic than a lot of other guys' 40 minutes where he's go he's going in for rebounds, he's going in for steals, he's he's rotating much more aggressively than than other players are. He just like he is an energizer bunny. I have for you a list of uh top minutes per game players in the NBA this year. The Wolves have four of the top twenty nine. <laughs> yeah. Four of the top 29. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So just in general, when you have your full allotment of bench players, when when Jeff Teague is in and and Tyus is coming off the bench and you have more guys you try, they only played like seven guys last night, so they were just completely, and now they have to play a back-to-back on the road tonight. Yeah, They're flying, they're playing the Pelicans. So you kind of sacrifice tonight's game going all out to win last night's game, playing everyone 40 minutes, mm-hmm. and then you didn't win. Mm-hmm. So now you're probably going to lose tonight too because that's not a pushover team. But... This is no different. Here's another a tweet from somebody. Uh, hey, Mackie and Judd, welcome to the Chicago Bulls northern version. <laughs> so, yeah, the honeymoon period's kind of over. They still deserve some leeway to, to, to just gain more cohesion and gel together. But I don't know. But you don't. It's, but it's you very don't, frustrating to watch. You don't want your potential star players to regress too. I mean, you don't want to see problems or guys becoming more selfish. Or th- that's my problem here. It's it's I see towns doing things that are going backwards now that we 
probably didn't see. I see him not improving in places where, where you know, uh, two years ago you'd say, okay, by year three he'll be fine there, and he's not now. And what's got to concern you is when the calling card of the coach is defense and he can't, I don't think he forgot how to teach defense. I think he has players that either don't give a damn or don't think the system works. And so they're doing their own thing. Absolutely. That's on the coach. Absolutely it is. But he has to learn. He has to either find a way to correct that and get through to them, change his system, or he's not going to survive. Yep, so, I don't know, they lost, we'll see what happens tonight, and they're still 12-9, and nine. they're still in the playoff mix, and they're still on pace for between 45 and 50 wins, which we would take at the end of the day. It just feels hollow I, right now. Yeah. For some both, winter so. team, both winter teams feel joyless, that's yeah. the problem. Oh, that's why the Gopher basketball team yeah. is... Uh, I'm going tonight, to by the way, tonight. I'm excited about that game. Number 10, Miami, that should be fun tonight on national television. Mike Gola Jr. with his weekly appearance when we come back. Mackie and Judd show rolls on. That's right, sports fans. <laughs> This is 1500 ESPN. Football. Hey, can I hit that quarterback in the face? I want to do it. Come on. Football. Go, Pat, go. Steve, how you doing? Hey, Steve. Or, hey, Bill. I'm out of You're Steve. on the way. I, there you go. I am Steve. <laughs> Mackie and Judd. Uh, Mike Golick Jr., you can find him uh, on the radio now with the first hour of the Golick and Wingo show, which just launched on Monday. We're loving that this week on 1500 ESPN and then uh, on his first and last radio show. Uh, Golick Jr., Eli Manning, Jaguars, your thoughts? I mean, it makes too much sense, right? Like, this is the NFL version of what we just saw with Chip Kelly at at going to UCLA, right? Like, the writing was on the wall the entire way. We talked about other possibilities, but this seemed like the most logical decision based on the relationships involved. And this one's really no different. I'll be shocked if Eli's not a Jaguar, although it seems now that the third option of potentially bringing Eli back in New York once the Giants likely clear house of everyone else in there, including McAdoo and Jerry Reese, seems like a possibility. But, man, you want to talk about Eli being done wrong, the most wrong you could probably do going forward is to try and make him stick around after you just put the streak on ice. <laughs> so, yeah. Mike, why why are they allowing this? I mean, this is a heritage franchise. This is a proud team, right? Why do why doesn't uh, uh, the Maras come down from the mountain and say, okay? We understand that we want to be bad, but I mean, this is a guy who's won two titles, who is a who is a franchise defining player. I don't I don't get why Geno Smith is being allowed to start on Sunday. Believe me, I'm just as shocked, especially because yeah, you're right. The Maras were going to have to sign off on this move. The only thing I can think of is listen, we're not too far removed from them having to come out and sort of throw support behind Ben McAdoo and say, you know, we give everyone their their fair shake. We don't make moves like this, talking about firing a coach during the season. And so once you do that and sort of throw your football support behind him, you kind of got to let it ride and say that these are the football guys making the football decisions for the most part or else you undermine the whole system. And really we understand then that the writing is truly on the wall, even though it really is now. I mean, this was the – the one way you could go in all this, usually putting in a backup quarterback or a young quarterback is sort of a, a coach's artificial means of extending their own timeline by saying, look, we got this young guy. We need time to develop him going forward now. You have to keep me around. 
Ben McAdoo, this is the opposite tack. Keeping Eli is the way to keep your job in all this. And I have a feeling that this may have been the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Eli is such a polarizing quarterback, too, because he definitely has a lot of Hall of Fame credentials on his resume with multiple Super Bowls. Uh, yardage is going to be way up there. And some of that's just the era he plays in. But then if you look at maybe the, the bottom end, the negative side, he's never led the league in passer rating or yardage or touchdowns. He has led the league in interceptions like three or four times, including a blow-up 27-pick season a few years ago, which is really throwback. Um, so I, I, he's definitely cashed in and taken advantage of teams that get hot with good defenses, and he's played at his best when it's mattered the most. And that's probably good enough to get him into the Hall of Fame. And if he does it, maybe like with the Jaguars or whoever he goes to next, he might add to that. But he's one of the more polarizing, interesting quarterbacks in the last 20 or 30 years, Golik. Well, I think we have a hard time being honest with guys that we like, right? And that includes fans and players. And he's someone that certainly endeared himself to the fan base with those couple of postseason runs. But we saw this with David Fisdale the other day, too. There's no substitute for being someone that your peers really respect and appreciate. And based on the outpouring we've seen from Eli's current and former teammates, this is a guy who earned a ton of respect along the way by the way he handled his business. Because the one thing you don't remember when you list all those accolades or any blow-ups or any instances where Eli was blaming the media or throwing anyone else under the bus, he was sort of a guy that just did his thing, made sure he handled his, and was also going to be the best possible teammate. We didn't often get to see that. But you don't get people coming out and saying the things that they've said about Eli without behind closed doors this being a guy that people really love and respect. And so I think that's always going to skew perception a little bit. It's a little bit of little brother syndrome, too, from people in New York. You know, they can be frustrated with him and talk about his warts. But the minute the outside, someone tries to attack from the outside, and make no mistake, Ben McAdoo is treated as an outsider in this. Jerry Reese is treated as an outsider comparatively with Eli Manning. And once you're the one attacking, then all of a sudden the claws come out. The decline of the Chiefs surprises surprises you how much, sir? Oh, I mean, about as much as... You know what? I, I shouldn't say that because it surprises me a lot, but it shouldn't. Because at some point, I need to be real with myself here and stop letting my enjoyment of Andy Reid's offense and how creative it can be. I mean, even going back to his time in Philly, the way he's used it, you kind of want to root for Alex Smith because he's a guy that people have put a hard cap on his ability. But maybe at some point we need to be honest with the fact that this is a team that, especially down the stretch, injury has played a role in it, certainly. Uh, uh, but that just with Alex Smith this far into his career, we have to legitimately wonder, you know, is the ceiling actually a Super Bowl with that guy at the helm? You know, we've heard the, the whispers about maybe moving towards Patrick Mahomes. Now the quarterback that they traded up into the draft to get in the first round. And I don't think it's the worst decision or thought process possible, especially if the next game or two don't go well. And all of a sudden you maybe find yourself on the outside of this playoff picture just because you made a very clear and decisive move towards him as your future. I mean, in all likelihood, Alex Smith, based on a number of things, may not be with this team next year. No one understands that more than him. But just seeing that the way they've gotten away from the ground game, the way this offense has stopped pushing the ball down the field, you know, you can account for injuries a lot. And certainly Dallas knows that. But this just seems like a completely different team. Yeah. Mike Golick Jr. with us here. Mackie and Judd, uh, meat and potatoes football discussion. Do you think Wisconsin has to beat Ohio State to make it into the four team? Is that a foregone conclusion that Wisconsin has to go undefeated here to get in or to stay oh, in, I guess? 
Oh yeah, that's that is with it without question. And listen, it's an easy path for them. Like that's all you can ask for as a team is the ability to know exactly what we have to do. Now you may feel it's unfair the margin for error that you get, but fair is a place where they judge pigs. Like that's not what we're here for. Your schedule, it, top to bottom throughout the season, was not an impressive gauntlet. Uh, what you put out there, you're one of the new kids on the block in this team too. And that's the other thing I said, you look at all the other names involved in this. And for the most part, they're players that we've seen up on the stage before with the college football playoff, Wisconsin, our only memory of them associated with this is the 59 to nothing drumming. They took at the hands of Ohio state the first year that vaulted the Buckeyes into this playoff. So there's a, I think a bit of a burden, a show me expectation that you're going to have to beat down the door of one of the teams that we've seen involved in this in order for us to, assuredly feel good about putting you in this give me the four teams that you want to see because they can basically sit there and say well wisconsin's a good team but but as you said they don't have to be fair so mike give me the four teams that you would uh, most like to see that you think would provide the most compelling playoff I think it'd be Auburn, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Alabama. I, I there's still part of me that looks at this and says can I honestly tell myself that I believe that Miami or Ohio State or any of these other teams down the line are better than Alabama, and I can't in my heart of hearts say that. So I think it would be the most entertaining version of what we get going forward. I understand the gripes about Alabama's schedule, though, and I understand that, especially with Miami, they have a chance to beat the number one team in the country this weekend, and if Miami pulls that off, then it's hard to say that they don't deserve a place in all of this. Yeah. Are you an eight-team playoff guy at all, or do you like it at four? I like you to four so far, to be honest. And I understand the 18 playoff would really benefit my alma mater in Notre Dame, but you know, <laughs> putting subjectivity aside and just kind of wearing my analyst hat on this one, it still creates a ton of interest and a ton of entertainment. We've got as valuable a regular season in college football as almost any sport that there is. I get that it's a bit of a flawed postseason model because you have a subjective human committee, which is pretty rare in the, in the world of sports outside of this and the March Madness tournament. But I think overall, you're still getting four really quality teams. You're keeping a lot of teams engaged in the end. I mean, we're talking eight deep right now in teams that we believe have a chance of making this. And I understand the eight-team playoff truthers are going to point to that and say, see, but there's always going to be some slippery slope argument for more. And I think right now we're good where we're at. Hey, quick Vikings question for you. So we we, we found this on numberfire.com today, sports analytics, they, you know, team rankings and things like that. And they have the Vikings as the fourth most likely team to win the Super Bowl behind the Patriots, the Eagles, and the Steelers. In your mind, how many more teams in the NFL are more likely to win the Super Bowl than the Vikings? Oof. Uh, I mean, the two that come to mind right away are New England and Pittsburgh, just because for my money, Pittsburgh, there's no greater upside play in the NFL than the Steelers. They have secondary issues. We saw those really kind of tested last week against Unlikely enough, the Brett Hundley Packers, but I would say those two teams I could really firmly say is more than likely. Maybe put the Eagles up there as well, just because I think you have a little more confidence at this point in Carson Wentz than you do Case Keenum. There's still sort of a side eye towards the quarterback that even the team is saying we're taking this week by week with who we name the starter. So if there's that kind of, you know, flimsy confidence there within the building, then how am I expected to have more confidence than that on the outside at the most key position on the field going forward? Because everything else is there for Minnesota. It is all there. It's just, do you have the guy that can distribute it? So far, Case Keenum has been that dude, so I don't really understand this 
constant sort of call to maybe rip him out of that spot in favor of someone who hasn't been there all season. And in Teddy's case, someone who hasn't played snaps in over a year. Yeah. Which is what Mike Zimmer did like a half hour ago. Again, he said, yeah, we're still week to week on case. We'll see what happens again this week. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, it makes very little sense to me. Again, they're in the building. They see they see Teddy every day. They see case every day. So I would like to think that this is a decision that they certainly know and understand at a level that we can't. Uh, but man, just trying to place myself in that locker room, if you're one of those guys that's starting to build that rapport that you've put all that time in with Case Keenum this season, to have to go through that again on the fly with Teddy now, because he's been rehabbing, he's been working on getting himself right and just getting back on the field, it it seems like a tall task for a team that's got high hopes. Yep. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Good it. Good stuff, Golik. No problem. See you guys. Mike Golik Jr. You can find him in the wee hours of the morning uh, a couple hours before Golik and Wingo, and then he is uh, the third man on that show for the first hour here mm-hmm. on 1500 ESPN. Good show so far, too. In the morning, yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, Dave, what kind of questions do you have for us no, next? Never mind that. This soup is incredible. Oh, are you? That's, oh, yeah. That's yeah, Reavers came get, through. Though. What kind of soup is it today? Oh, we got oh, the chicken wild rice? wild rice. We got the bread bowl. We got some crackers to go with it. Really enjoying this. Extra crackers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got three packs of crackers. Awesome. Nice. Uh, well, you uh, you keep eating that soup, and Judd and I will come back and uh, have some answers. I got questions. Okay, yeah. cool. Mackie and, Mackie and Judd. You think you like swimming? Rowdy Gaines doesn't just like swimming. He f***ing loves it. The king of backstroke. There's a new king, and he's right there staring at you. What a swim by Ryan Murphy, and what a stretch to home. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. You guys are spoiled. You guys are lucky to have these guys. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackey and Judd. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, Dave Harrigan, enjoying the soup from Chris Reavers. Don't forget the bread bowl, too. The bread bowl. Oh, the crusty bread bowl. I'm just digging into it now. We're doing the dip thing. Oh, that sounds good. How could you... How Dumbest bread of all time. Chris was so confident, <laughs> so incorrectly confident, that P.J. Fleck will be the turkey of the year. Like, Pat never goes that obvious. For him to stick by that bet is pretty outrageous. And he can be done with it now, right? Because it's you, you offered him two days of lunch. Yeah. Could have been done by today. Could have been Instead done. Instead, it's five days of lunch. Yeah, yeah. He decided to stick with it despite the plea bargain deal. Doubles now, man. Wow. Mm-hmm. He's a dunce. We all know it. We're just making it public. <laughs> all right. The Wolves are 12-9. and nine. There is a ton of angst over a team with a 571 winning percentage. A team that has eight winning seasons in the history of the franchise, which has spanned 29 seasons, hasn't had a winning season since... 0405. First of all, I want you to tell me is it that they have not met expectations or is it that those expectations were too high? And, you know, I think I want to challenge you guys just a little bit. So let's do one of these too. Now on Mackie and John. You wanted better charts that you could see the fine print on. The pie chart of praise. You should be singing his praises. Hey, they're 12 and 9. Dish out some praise. Good things that you've seen, because we've been very negative today. Sure. Uh, t- t- first part of your of your setup there. I got to eat soup now. Yeah, go ahead. Do your thing. 
That's fine. This is, we'll kill some time here for you. This is so worry. obvious. This setup. <laughs> Do about three things and then get back to me. Right. Um, I, I think, are they living up to expectations? Record-wise, yes, because they're the they're the five seed Western Conference, twelve and nine, on pace for 45, 47, you know, fifty wins somewhere in that ballpark. Is it sustainable? I don't think it is when you're allowing almost a hundred eight points per game. I mean, that's that's absurd. A hundred eight points per game. There's only two teams in the Western Conference allowing more points per game than the Timberwolves. One of them, the Phoenix Suns, allowing 115 points per game, and the other is uh, New Orleans, the team you see tonight. So that should be uh, that should that should be flirting with the over, whatever the over under is tonight. But pie chart of praise, um, I think the sheer collection of talent. So I think Butler. I'm going to give out uh, equal pieces of pie here, like usual. Uh, Butler Towns, like there's just really really talented players on this team, even. You know, Wiggins is frustrating in a lot of ways, but he can get hot and he can score. There's been games where he's flashed a little bit more defensively. Um, they've got scoring punch off the bench and Bielitsa and Jamal Crawford. So you, at least when you go to your bench when it's fully healthy, you know that a couple guys can get hot and score 12, 15 points if needed. So I would, uh, I would say... Part of the part of the pie chart of praise. Are you guys okay? Dave's eating soup. Yes, <laughs> just, he's just paying no attention to your answer. Okay. No, he's talking about the bench. I'm listening. <laughs> you, his you, bread bowl's really almost, good. I love, oh, I love, in the bread love wild rice soup. I looked over there. And he almost had his face. Such in great the bread radio. Bowl. Dave Harrigan eating soup. <laughs> no, keep while going. Judd laughs at him. No, I'm listening. Um, I'm not, I, not listening. I would say the talent on the team, and then Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden deserve credit for just landing Jimmy Butler sure. and putting putting uh, you know this collection together. Flip Saunders deserves some of the pie chart of praise for landing Car- for choosing Carl Anthony Towns over Jalil Okafor, and um, I would say fifteen years of Wolves dormancy or fourteen years deserves some credit, so an equal part of the pie for just making this look a lot better than it really should be because of how putrid they've been for so long. So that there it is. Kind of a backhanded compliment. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll go shorter by saying this. I I'm I'm a big eye test and feel guy and things don't feel right and the eye test doesn't look right. And I'm referring to last night, I'm referring to the Pacers game, I'm referring to the Pistons game. There have been enough worrisome games you've seen where where the loss is not an ordinary loss. The breakdown is too great. The Heat game was not good. Um, where it's very, very clear the players aren't executing what the coach wants. And w- whether that is because they can't and they don't get it or because they won't and they don't care, I don't know. But the feel, I liken it, I liken the feel uh, at Target Center last night to the Vikings-Colts game last year, where you start to watch that game, and you're like, something's wrong here. Like, this isn't right. Like, they're not playing the system at all. So the reason why I feel that that way is I think we've seen enough in spurts to be concerned. Pie chart of praise, well, that's simple to me. Target Center redo was fantastic so far. And the Skyway <laughs> that, that, that we broadcast from on occasion – Kudos to you, gentlemen, in the Wolves, uh, the Wolves brass who made that happen. I believe that the redo and the new scoreboard and all that major upgrades. Now I'd like to see the product on the court start to feel a little bit more positive. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it is. I mean, they're winning more often than they're losing. I like it to feel that way to me, though. To feel something wrong. We might just need basketball therapy. Maybe that's our problem. I need sports therapy and lots of things. Hockey, too. A lot of angst. That's maybe a little bit too premature. Probably. We can can revisit that. It's like a premature explosion of angst. Yes, it is. It's exactly like that. Question number two, in uh, talking with Chip earlier today about P.J. Fleck and go for football, I don't remember who made the point that, well, P.J.'s got a lot of time because in this town you're buried behind That's Vikings me. and Twins. There's a lot going on, and the excitement about go for football hasn't been there for a long time, a long, long time. And we've seen the last few years. You can have a good winning season, and you show up next next fall And it's still sort of an empty house. So, boys, how many good, really good seasons would it take for this town to fully embrace gopher football like they can gopher basketball on a year-in and year-out basis if the team is good? Define really good. What what do you see that as? I just mean, let's say Jan 1 Bowl. Okay. Um, Relevant football. I think if you had... Boy, I don't think it, it would take much. I think if you... If you improved upon what, let's say, Mason did, and and you got into January first games back to back years, I, I think enthusiasm goes way way up. So my point about Gopher football is Gopher football has got a very Phil, I think, passionate and loyal fan base, but I don't think it's huge, and and I think a lot of people sort of care about it, but then if they get bad, they get frustrated and then they drop off and they go watch the Vikings or the Twins or something. Um, but I think if go, I think if you put together back to back January first, if Fleck gets eight or nine wins in back to back years, excitement spikes. I don't think it takes that long. And what I've always said is, in my lifetime, I would just like to see one season in which you don't even necessarily have to uh, have to be in contention to win a national championship whatsoever. I'm just talking like a Rose Bowl type year. But I think if you went to January uh, first bowls back to back years and had eight or nine wins. Excitement spikes right yeah, there. Yeah, I think I don't, think, it I don't think people are going to jump on the bandwagon while it's spiking. I think like when the Twins got really good in 2001, it took it took some time, and then really the attendance didn't actually start to pop until Target Field when they were pulling in 40,000 fans per game. So sometimes, you know, with the Vikings, that stadium's always going to be full. There's only eight games, so it's just it's the most popular show in town. I think because there's a limited amount of college football games too, you could fill that stadium seven times, but it wouldn't it wouldn't happen while you're having the season. It would have to be like, oh, the reaction to yeah, the really good season, sure. and it would have to be something more than a pop up season. So I would say to answer Dave's question, after one really good season where you some combination of get to the Big Ten championship game and play Ohio State, maybe get beat, but it looks like oh, the quarterback's coming back. PJ Fleck has got this thing rolling. Uh, you beat Wisconsin maybe to get to the Big Ten championship game. Then people get excited about the next year if you're ranked uh, preseason. If it looks like it might be sustainable over multiple years. And that's where Glenn Mason had that thing in 2003 where, oh man, you've got NFL talent all over the offense here with offensive linemen, multiple running backs. You got a big lead on Michigan. Like that thing was ready in 2003 to be the most popular thing next to the Vikings in town. Maybe even more popular than the, than the Twins in the Metrodome. And they blew that fourth quarter lead, and it was like all the air of the program came out. And he managed to hang on to that job for three or four more years. But when you have those opportunities, cash in, and they just don't. Mm-hmm. So if you cash in once, and not even like 
college football playoff cash in. Oh, Jerry Kill. Go get smoked to... by Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game and have some hope for the future. When, when Kill t- took the team to the Jan 1 Bowl a couple of years back, there was excitement about that. And that was a meaningless Jan 1 Bowl. But just the perception of, of playing on that day, it got people, I wouldn't say super excited, but the, it, for golf football, it got them pretty excited. No. Humans compete. We like rankings. Phil and Judd rank them on 1500 ESPN. As I enjoy my wild rice <laughs> soup in a bread bowl. Yeah. Let's do it, boys. It's getting colder outside, even though this is a nice mild week. I need your soup power rankings. Top three. Chili off the board, because that's a hybrid. Chili wow. off that's the, the board. first one I wrote down, just for the record. Now I have to cross it off. No, you have to cross it off. I don't consider that Why? a true soup. How can you not consider that a true soup? What well, makes it a uh, quick aside yeah. for you? Is it too thick to be a soup? I, I You're eating it's... it in a bowl with a spoon and it's liquid form. Well, and you yeah. could say that about cereal. So if you want to call cereal soup, you could do that too. Well, too it's cold. I mean, obviously it's... Gaspacho serve cold too. Don't don't come to me with soup knowledge, all right? Chili's too meaty. There's too, too much see, business right? going on. The broth isn't really all that important. Soup, you need a good broth, so that's where I'm going with this. Okay. I got to look up some of my favorite soups now and get the exact three. soups. That's going to prep here, okay? Should we Campbell's take a commercial break? chicken noodle, Campbell's tomato. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, Olive Garden has some outstanding soups that I was going to look up to give you an exact power ranking. You unappreciative, you know what? Uh, I think I, I really like a good spicy tortilla of some kind. Oh, soup, that was yesterday's bean. soup. It's yeah, it's yeah, it really, that was great. Thanks for some corn, some beans. <laughs> if you want to put some meat in there of some kind, oh, yeah. uh, it's always always a good choice and a very underrated choice. Number two. I'm gonna go standard with these next two. I really like a good tomato basil, a really good creamy tomato basil soup with some oyster crackers and maybe a little cheese. Dip a grilled cheese, maybe. You could, yeah. sure, you could. Number one. And number one, without a shadow of a doubt, and this might be controversial, French onion. In a, really? In a runaway. French onion in a runaway. I Not honor, my favorite, but it's good. Honorable mention for clam chowder, a good clam chowder. Oh, I can't do that. Stomach problems. It's great. Thanks, Judd. Stomach problem. I can't do it. I used to love clam chowder. I can't do it now. Is it just the clams? Could you do a seafood chowder? It's or got is the it... milk. It's got too much milk content or something. Okay. It gives me real, real problems. <laughs> it does. It gives me... All right. No cream good. soups for Judd. The got day's it. ruined. One, two. Number three. All right. After much research, number three is the Garden Zupa. The Garden Zupa soup. At Olive Garden. It's very, very good. I highly recommend What's soup in the Garden sal- Zupa soup? It's the vegetable soup. Yeah, it's there. a vegetable soup, but it's very good. Number two. The Toscana soup. Toscana soup is now now I wrote Are you just on the Olive Garden menu yeah, right now? I rotate these is that what's two. Happening? Okay, when when Dawn and I go to lunch and I, these bottom ones. When, if if when, your yes. number one is never-ending possible, I'm going to be very no, upset. No, 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 no. I'm a big soup and salad fan with the breadsticks, right? And so I've given you the two that I always rotate. More breadsticks when than I salad. But... Olive Garden, which is why my fat was spilling over when I wore the Kevin Bacon t-shirt. And Explain the Toscana, first of all. Is that like a sausage vegetable kind yeah, of thing? Yes. Yeah, it's it's a little bit thicker, but it's very, very good. It's very tasty. Number one. All right. This has got to be homemade, and you guys are both going to, I think you're both going to be like, ugh, yuck. But if it's homemade, so this is not from the can, a cream of corn. 
Oh no, I'm with you. A cream of corn, but it's got to be it's got to be right. Like I a mean, good corn chowder yes, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I mean it's got it, I'm talking it takes a day to make and it comes in and and you know it's prepared in the big soup bowl. We're not talking about some cheap one-off off the shelf. That's my favorite. Where do you guys stand on split pea soup? Yeah. I like it's okay. I mean, I've acquired the taste over time. I think uh I don't I think, think a good split pea soup. Actually, Brits has some good split pea soup once in a while. Your favorite place. I don't think there's any soups I hate, to be honest. I can't think of any soups I absolutely can't stand. Well, besides the clam chowder that you said. Will no, I like clam chowder. No, your no, intestines out of your body. I like clam chowder. It gives me stomach okay. problems. Yeah, no, I like it. That's the issue. I just can't have I it. I still think that chili's a soup. I feel like you're, I don't know. I think Dave is. Um, well, he's eliminated it, not me. That could be another poll if you want, Maggie and Judd poll before we wrap up the show here. Yeah, that's really wrap up in a compelling way. Hey, uh, <laughs> Luther Brookdale Toyota, speaking of compelling, there are some compelling deals on pre-owned vehicles at LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Why pre-owned, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Toyotas are the most durable vehicles in the world, and 80% of Toyotas that were on the road 20 years ago are still on the road today. How about this 2009 Toyota Corolla sedan with 91,000 miles for just $79.95? Now, 91,000 miles may seem like a lot. Oh, that's getting close to 100,000. I can tell you I have driven Toyotas three times as many miles, and thanks to the service department at Luther Brookdale Toyota and just the general durability of these vehicles, uh, there's a lot of life left in those tires, so to speak. How about a 2009 RAV4 four-wheel drive for the upcoming wintry conditions for just 10495 Go to the pre-owned inventory search section of LutherBrookdaleToyota.com or just stop in 694 in Brooklyn Boulevard. Becky and Judd are back. Okay, let's not scare the children. On 1500 ESPN. I thought, uh, you know, our, their bench hurt us. So that was a concern. That was it. His first five answers last night by Tibbs were about three words. I'm going to look at the film. He sounded like a football coach. Uh, uh, He sounded like a a depressed football coach. I'm going to look at the film. uh, That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I just saw this interesting nugget. I don't know. It's interesting to me anyways. Maybe no one else cares, but... So the Brett Favre Iron Man streak, what was it? it was like 300 games, right, or 290 games or yeah, something? Yeah, it was like 297 or something. I think. He didn't miss a start for two decades. Correct. And Eli Manning was second place on that list, active players. Mm-hmm. Philip Rivers now moves into first place on the list. At? And I don't know what the total is. I just saw that Philip Rivers moves into third place on the list. Okay. Did you know Philip Rivers is 10th all-time in passing yards? Now, some of that's the era he plays in where... Like Matt Ryan's going to be top fifteen by the end of his career. Sure, but Philip Rivers is is passed in in just career passing yards. Fran Tarkenton, uh, let's see, Dan Fouts, mm-hmm. Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana is eighteenth on the list. Mm-hmm. There's just there's more yards now being doled out through the passing game. Sure, but I just think with our Eli Manning discussions now, and Big Big Ben is eighth on that list, and he has Super Bowl rings. I think he's a Hall of Famer. We're going to have to make a lot of decisions on quarterbacks like Philip Rivers and Matt Ryan, especially if they don't wind up winning championships. Are you a Hall of Famer or not because of the era and the numbers you're putting up? Are quarterbacks going to be um, down the road here, receivers, basically, it's, when, it's when same, it comes yeah, same to the, conundrum. the conversation, which is, okay, this guy's stats are great, but because the receiver uh, conversation has become 
incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, now I saw something a couple days ago that sounds like Moss is going to go in his first time, which he definitely should. But Randy Moss changed the game. Like with Moss, you you look at the stats, but you also say, okay, he came in the league and the game immediately changed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I wonder if you sit down and start to talk about quarterbacks here from this era, there's going to be, what, four or so who are shoe-ins, first ballot, no question. Mm-hmm. But after that, you're going to say, okay, we can't put all these guys in. It doesn't make sense. Now, their stats were great, but the league also changed massively in that time period. I think if Phillip Rivers had, you know, Eli Manning we look at and say, he's probably a Hall of Famer because counting stats and and two Super Bowls. Two Super Bowls in New York I think is huge. If yes, Phillip Rivers had the same organizational stability and defenses and had even one ring, yep. I don't think there'd be any doubt. I think we'd say, oh, Phillip Rivers is one of the is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, he wasn't quite Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning, but he's right there. Or Drew, maybe he's in that Drew Brees category. In fact, here here's another one: all time career passer rating leaders. Mm-hmm. It's a who's who of quarterbacks in the Peyton Manning era. So Aaron Rodgers is number one Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. but then you get to like Russell Wilson's number two all time passer rating. Tom Brady, Tony Romo is fourth. Mm-hmm. Steve Young, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning. Kirk Cousins is eighth. <laughs> okay. Philip Rivers is ninth. And Matt Ryan is tenth. Yep. Andy Dalton is fifteenth. Yep. Andy Dalton, who's not a Hall of Famer. Let's nope. draw a line. Nope. But it's gonna be a really interesting I think I five think, to ten year period here. I think to a large degree where the line is eventually going to be drawn to is um playoff success and titles. Sure. Like Romo's a very Interesting case because his stats are really good, right? But he's got like one playoff win. But are they going to say, yeah, his stats are good, but he didn't win in the playoffs? Yeah, I think you have to do, if you're a Tony Romo, and I'm a big Tony Romo apologist, he's not a Hall of Famer. I would not put him in the Hall of Fame. Great regular season quarterback, but too many blemishes and not enough success in the postseason. But like, Kirk Cousins is eighth all time in passer rating. He's not a Hall of Famer by any means. No, nope. he's he's a good quarterback. Nope, he's still so, got time left, but yeah, he's yeah. not right now for sure. Thought that was interesting. Hey, you can find all of our on-demand content and all of our podcasts. Hey, the Purple Podcast got a review from uh, Barrett Sports Media yesterday. You can Google that and see a bunch of bunch of Judd lovers and Matthew Collar lovers. Very nice. But uh, fifteen hundred ESPN.com for all of our on-demand content. We will see you guys tomorrow.